Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello, I'm Andrew Clark. And I'm Doug Sanham. This podcast is brought to you by the Pilot Light Campaign. In these weekly chats, we will have real and honest conversations with our inspiring friends and other amazing human beings we want you to know about. We take a unique glimpse into their lives and hear their incredible journeys from overcoming challenges to building better mindsets, habits, and routines. This is the Skull Session Podcast. Hi, this is uh, the Skull Session podcast uh, by Pilot Light. I'm Andrew Clark. And I'm Doug Sanham. And today's guest is Tom Norrington Davis. Hi there. <laughs> hey, Tom, how are you? Good, good. Nice to be Tom here. is, uh, a, he was a chef, a chef that I looked up to but, uh, when I first started. I remember having your cookbook. I'm uh, tall enough to look at that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got your cookbook out there. Um, and, and it was how Mother used to make, wasn't it? Yeah, just like Mother used to make. Just yeah. like Mother used to make. Um, but Tom, I remember when I was working at the Anchor and Hope, uh, I was working with Trish, and she was you know, a dear friend of yours and um, always spoke highly of you and stuff. But she, I remember the moment she said, oh, Tom's quitting being a chef to become a yoga uh, <laughs> student, instructor, and... Um, we wanted to speak to you today. We wanted to get you in. You've been part of the Pilot Light kind of family and, you know, we've been doing a few things over lockdown for World Mental Health Week. Um, but, uh, you know, tell the audience more about, um, you know, who you are, what you do and um, your journey from chef to yogi. I think it's really important. And I need to, I'm going to fill in at some point and just say how good yoga has been for me during lockdown. But yeah. Tom, tell us your story. Um... It's funny because I hardly ever get to think of it as a journey, yeah. although um, in a way, meeting you guys and getting involved with Pilot Light made me realise that, that it, I had travelled quite some distance from, from when I first started. And that journey begins in 2007, um, which was a year that my life as a chef changed really dramatically because I became a, a restaurateur mm -hmm. for the first time. Um, and that was really exciting and it was to do with the Anchor and Hope. Uh, I had never really had ambitions to be a restaurateur. I always was one of those sort of jobbing chefs. Just really liked the craft, liked my job. And I got talked into it, charmed into becoming a partner at Great Queen Street by Rob Shaw, yeah. Jonathan Jones and Mike Belden. <laughs> Bless them. <Yeah. laughs> and... Uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Yep. Uh, Great Queen Street opened that year, 2007, um, became very busy very, very quickly. 
it was exciting, it was thrilling, and I wouldn't change a thing about it. The problem was uh, I had started to feel massive amounts of anxiety um, around the sudden up in the level of responsibilities that I had. I found that I was uh, not a great delegator. Mm. Uh, I found that I was not able to sort of enjoy the process. I noticed that other people seemed more relaxed about the process of opening a restaurant than me, especially my partners, who were more experienced. Uh, That's not to say that that they were... um, like coasting along I think opening a restaurant is really stressful but (laughs) I just suddenly began to think that I needed to address my level of anxiety I should say at this point as well anxiety was not new to me I'd lived with anxiety ever since I was really quite young Mm. I first became acutely aware of it in my teens Um, and often it would be a performance related thing so I I would find that I reacted most dramatically to things like exams or team sports. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, whilst I enjoyed all those things, I just would often would be tinged with just this, I'd say now looking back, quite extreme form of anxiety that I'd normalised and that I'd also learned to keep really, really quiet about over the years. Sure. Uh, it would manifest itself in panic attacks, which I'd become very crafty about hiding. <laughs> I could have a panic attack <laughs> without anybody knowing about it. Wow. Just standing there in the corner. And um, yeah, I just thought, right, I, now all these people are looking up to me, all these, all, these, all these responsibilities, they're very real. I've got to do something about this. Otherwise, one, I'm going to make myself really, really miserable mm-hmm. long term, you know. And two, I'm going to let these people down. So uh, friends had mentioned yoga to me over the years. And I'd always been really suspicious about it. Um, that's not going to sound unusual coming from someone who spent their adult life in kitchens. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. I just thought people who did yoga must be strange, smug types who said, <laughs> said namaste a lot and wandered around to that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <we are>. <laughs> <laughs> questionable clothing. <laughs> I knew nothing about it uh, apart from that probably I would be so bad at it you know, yeah. that it wasn't worth even trying. I kind of... You know, by this time I'm in my mid-thirties and I'm, I was thinking someone trying to bust out yoga moves at 37 years old is going to be like dad dancing. It's just going to be so unedifying. I can't go there, I can't do it. But I decided to give it a go. And that, as they say, is his was that. <laughs> I loved it straight away. I, I went to my first class, uh, actually just before the restaurant opened, because it was, it was during the lead-up to the restaurant. Yeah, I was yeah. actually at my most anxious in, in many ways. And... Um, I thought I'd give it a try. I remember standing at the back of the class so that I was as invisible as possible and that I had the escape hatch, you know, I could yeah, see yeah. the exit if I needed sure. it. Um, the class began and I just... Well, two strange things happened. The first was that I had, ne- I had never been so bad at something, but so, uh, <laughs> so it, but enjoyed it so much. Yeah. It, it, I, it felt completely... Uh, beyond me mm-hmm. but there was something about that that was really uh, freeing and um, I suppose you know we're, we're all chefs around this table you, your craft is so important to you and actually cooking can be that fantastically absorbing thing but it does have success and sort of 
what should we call it, non-success, let's keep it really yeah. positive, <laughs> positive and ignore the F word. You know, things go wrong and it's heartbreaking yeah. and that. Here was something that was absolutely based on almost non-achievement. It was, yeah. it was straight away, I, that seemed to fall into place for me, that, that something could be intense absorbing and in many ways it was it, it felt very familiar to and we can talk more about that mm. it felt very familiar to me as a cook because it's based a lot around repeating movements yeah. it's based a lot around uh, learning things which uh, at first seem quite difficult hard to get your head around and then they become more like second nature and it's definitely based around repetition repetition of the same thing um, and that I think slots really nicely into a cook's type brain. Sure, yeah, absolutely. But it didn't matter if it all was completely pants. You know, yeah. I couldn't be good at it. I couldn't be bad at it. I was just doing it. And in that way, it felt really therapeutic. And I loved it. Do you know, I mean, I would say that during lockdown, uh, we weren't able to just, as everything locked down, we weren't able to do uh, a, a big class that we, we were talking about doing uh, for Pilot Light, um, but you, you threw it over to Zoom and um like everyone else yeah exactly <laughs> and I, I it was from world mental health week that um you know we, we had people coming along and I was like well you know we, we're promoting it through pilot light I'm definitely going to turn up to kind of lead from the front in terms of getting chefs along yep. and you know absolutely it's so, like you said I, for me, it was like I've never been so bad at something in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, yeah, I, I've been competitive. I, I did a lot of martial arts, and you know, I, I guess I would never have thought about the fact that when I was doing martial arts, that yoga, nah, don't be silly. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Why would I want to do that? But part of me was like, I, I had that first lesson and thought, wow, that's fucking tough. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I've put on a bit of weight from my, since my fighting weight, but, you know, just being on your hands and the strain on your wrists and they were just kind of very basic positions, but all of a sudden I'm like, shit, I'm out of my depth. I'm really out of my depth. <laughs> and I want to know more, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. And it was a real big help for me um, during lockdown because it was, I was doing yoga with yourself and uh, a friend's wife and it was all on Zoom maybe there wasn't the intimidation of being in a class, the fact that you're at home and you've got your own kind of safe space and stuff, but I haven't done it for two weeks now. I've been doing, well, I've been doing it for two months, I guess. I haven't done it for two weeks and I feel like kind of angsty. I, I need to do it again. So it's definitely made, it's made an impact, whereas I really, I really want to get back into it and train hard every day. I, I felt that it's it's... It's, uh, it's linked up the thing. I've always done a lot of meditation. I've understood that. But I understand why they work together. And it's helped me with my diet more as well. I mean, mm. lockdown also did that. It was like start considering the diet, what I'm eating. I pushed myself fully plant-based at one point yep. just to see what was going on. Um, but as I, you know, I'm 42 years old now. As I approach, would look at the next kind of 42 years, I just want to start think, looking after myself. <laughs> I know I haven't done it as a chef working all the hours and you know partying as much as I had but yoga to me I, I, I want to be obsessed about it without being 
too obsessed about it. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because there's a certain yeah. yoga around here. There's a certain yoga crowd, and I don't want to be that person <laughs> walking around with a mat and the smugness, as you say. <laughs> yes, but it sounds like I'm just saying exactly what you've said in yeah. terms of like it's the journey. The it's it's part. It's got its teeth into you. Yeah, it's the breath. I think. Yeah, I, I, I would actually have to say that as well. I mean, I when when we did it that um, during lockdown, I didn't. I was expecting it personally to be a lot harder actually than it was but I think where I'd, I'd been doing a lot of exercise mm-hmm. prior to that maybe my body was slightly <laughs> ready mm-hmm. to be stretched around it and it was um I found that each movement was energizing um rather than depleting me of of energy and ex- you know like exercise does you know it doesn't energize you at the end generally but this I felt like this was actually energizing me through and and I think it had everything to do with the breath because the breathing for me was something that, that meditation is something that I find difficult. So I find my meditation through exercise and um, breathing technique through exercise is also something that when I guess I've just gone from the last five years of, of smoking and not exercising, that breathing through exercise was very difficult to do properly because I was out of breath. And the breathing through the yoga actually helped me with my breathing in my normal exercise as well yeah and it was just it was just it was it was it was it filled me with energy i didn't feel like we that i was i was punishing my body i could feel that it was you know that what it was doing to me but i didn't feel that i was punishing i just felt good yeah which is you know i guess it's the whole point yes i mean in a way it's as, as natural as just breathing but it's playing a, a con trick on the, let's call it, on the body-mind. Yeah. We all know that the first thing to go when you're agitated, when you're angry, upset, whatever, is the breath. You know, you start mm. breathing rapidly and shallow. Yeah. But when you're content, when everything's going fine, your breath slows down, regulates. And these things, it's all the autonomic nervous system, it's done without us noticing. Because yeah. it's homeostasis, it's, it's what the body does. Mm. And yoga is based on the on the really simple theory that you can actually make it work the other way. So if you calm the breath, then you actually calm the mind via sure. the breath. And of course, the body is the link between the breath and, and the mind. And so adding movement and controlling the movement and guiding the movement yeah. via the breath is the, is the genius part. And in that way, it becomes a moving meditation. And I think, again, uh, I keep coming back to... You know, I, I, was, I was very curious about why I was so keen on it straight away. Sure. Uh, part of that was very much like what you've said. I had explored other kinds of meditation as a, as a younger man uh, and really struggled with them. And that was partly because I was born with ants in my pants and I could not sit still. I, mean, yeah. I was always constantly being told off at school yeah. for fidgeting. Um, and it's absolutely no, <clears throat> it's no coincidence that I've gone and sought jobs my whole adult life allowed me to avoid chairs yep. <laughs> I've been on my feet <laughs> been on my feet since I was allowed yeah. to get up from my last exam at school I just yeah. yeah I have hardly had to sit down until I get to the point you know until until I got to my mid 30s funnily enough I think one of the reasons I was so fraught with anxiety uh, in the early days of the restaurant was, was having to I suddenly realised there was admin to do yep. you know oh, I couldn't work. I couldn't put, I admin, I couldn't put admin I in a slow pan at the back of the stove and forget about it for seven hours you know no, absolutely that had right. to be done at a certain time at certain dates uh, and in the office 
the office secret community is so tiny as well. It was <laughs> like it was the most was uh, a, you know that film being John Malkovich. Yeah, yeah. It kind of didn't it, you couldn't stand fully upright in it because it was in what was meant to be a wine cellar. And we just had to squeeze it in anywhere we could, uh, which was hilarious and but also again kind of made yeah. you feel a bit made someone like me feel a bit trapped. But so to find that there was this very uh, intense physical form of meditation available, that was a revelation to me. I love the movement because uh, I, movement I'm comfortable with movement. Yeah. But what I really loved was uh, was that there was intensity but the opportunity to control the breathing in the intensity. Mm. And that, the reason I got so addicted so quickly was because I started taking it back into the restaurant with me. Yeah. And so busy shifts, I suddenly began to notice. I think it took two or three months, but I could be in the middle of a Friday night yeah. service, absolutely slammed. And in my mind, I could hear a pin drop because I'd literally be going like, one, inhale, put that pan there, two, exhale, move that along the tab grab, three, yeah. check he's all right, four. And it was like, yeah, was like gotcha. oh my gosh, my mind is starting to work in a really, really different way. I began to also, I, uh, by sheer coincidence, but also it's a very important part of the practice, uh, Ashtanga Yoga teaches you very much, as you guys will have noticed um, in the short time we did it together, it starts by teaching you uh, uh, all, the, all the postures are standing. That yep. there's very little sitting down in the beginning that tends to come later on uh, the, the fantastic effects on the core mm -hmm. of all those standing sequences at the, at the very beginning uh, I began to notice when I was standing badly I began to notice when I wasn't using my feet properly you know, I, I realised that I had just paid no attention to the way I breathed sure. or the way I stood up for, for all these years that I've been doing it and I think there was definitely a phase when I would go around the kitchen going, you know, you need to learn to stand up properly. <laughs> Must have actually been a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> I think it's, yeah, it's obviously how you tell people. I, I, again, I guess, you know, part of Pilot Light's journey has been that you know, we wanted to talk about mental health, we wanted to try and figure out a way for people to look after themselves, look after each other a bit more. And it is about, you know, us exploring... Things like yoga with yourself and you know, other people that sit on, you know, they're, they're in the kind of wellness and the well-being um, uh, communities and stuff. And it's just like, let's start bringing that in. And you, you, know, you can tell chefs, oh, you need to do this. And it, it's like, you know, leading a horse to water, you can't mm. get into drink necessarily. But I think it's, it's about like leading from the front. Now, I, I wish I had done something like yoga a long time ago, but then at the same time, I wish I, I didn't drink and I wish I hadn't done drugs and things like that. Yeah, know, like, a long time ago. <laughs> but it is about... I, one of the things we were exploring uh, in conversation the other day is that you know, I feel that you know doing a double shift, doing five double shifts in a row... I mean, you know, it's like an athlete, really. And yet chefs don't look after themselves. Absolutely. Like athletes, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I guess it's, you know, to, to get more longevity in kitchens and even out of your own career, it's, it's, is there things that we can apply to our lives to, you know, get the best out, to be more comfortable? Yeah. So I've always said that the, the job is always going to be a difficult job. I think that's just part of the, the industry. And, yep. um, you know, that's not something we're going to attack um, I kind of like it. I like doing that. Well, I was going to say, it's a job that attracts 
a certain kind of person. Yeah, definitely. Um, However, it is you know some people will do that for X amount of time, and then they're like, right, that's it. I I've kind of, I feel burnt out. I need to go and do something else. But it's like, well, you could get a few more years out of yourself if you look after the you know you exercise, try and sleep as much as you can. Don't you go and get shit faced on your days off. Um, and eat the right foods as well. So yeah. I guess these, these are all the things we're exploring. It's trying to find a way to say to, you know, the, the followers of Pilot Light, hey, try this, try that. Yeah. And not everything's going to work for everyone, but it's just having these little things out there that people say, actually, yeah, I am curious. Maybe I should try yoga. And, funny, and showing think... it as well, though. Do you know, like the the the, um, the sheer volume of things that there are actually out there that are good for you that yeah. you could do. That we, um, I guess... We convince ourselves through sheer lack of time that mm. we can't do it. We can't fit this in anywhere. That you know, we we get ourselves into that that mind state mm. that we can quite easily talk ourselves back out of. Yes, know? I think uh, the thing that comes straight into my mind there is that the fitness industry is in a way uh, part of the problem. There, uh, it's not that you can't turn up at a gym or what have you. Um, first thing in the morning or late at night but a lot of the classes a lot of the things that give people uh, that, you know a lot of those sort of very motivating activities where you get to join a, an, another group of people of course there's there's such a preponderance of that happening at lunchtime or in the early evenings yes yeah. and those things make that, that those timetables can make it all rather inaccessible to people in in the catering industry especially young people who tend to maybe be doing all those evening yeah. shifts or working the weekends um and of course, it can also be expensive yep. uh, to access that stuff. And as we know, the industry is not known for its amazing no. wages. <laughs> no. uh, and uh, that was one of the things I noticed again about, about practicing, I should say, uh, for people out there who don't know all the different kinds of yoga, I had stumbled literally by accident on uh, a, a type of Hatha yoga called Ashtanga. Um, and moreover, the Mysore style self-practice method. And that is where you learn incrementally uh, in a group, but receiving sort of one-to-one tuition in that group. You learn set sequences of, of, of these movements. Uh, they get called series. Um, they're very long-term projects. To put it into perspective, there are six series of postures in mm-hmm. the Ishtanga Yoga canon. And 14 years in, I'm about third of the way through the third series so and i may never finish it it's really bloody difficult wow uh, but that's the great thing so you're always you're always at your you're always you're always a beginner right? for yeah. part of your practice sure. uh and so this uh learning it in your own time uh although you can you, you can access the group sessions when you need them but a lot of the time i'm able to just practice at yeah. home and in the early days of restaurants uh, the restaurant that was what would happen i would go to see my teacher Hamish, who was at Drummond Street in Euston, I'd just see him whenever I could, but I would then practice under yeah. my own steam at home on the days when I couldn't. Um, soon I began to just fit it into any slide. I'd look at my rotor at the beginning of the week mm-hmm. um, and think, right, I can practice there on Tuesday. I can practice then on Wednesday. I can practice then on Friday. You know, and it, it would. It's structured like that, yeah. yeah. And I think that's a, again, it's a, a a great way of encouraging people to be able to look at their rotors and what they're doing and when they can squeeze things in. Even like you know, eating the right foods at the right times and yep. just try and get 
get the right Absolutely. nutrition in, do you know what I mean? And that was the other thing. Yeah. Then I started, I started modifying a bit like what I would eat when, just so that I would be able to run off and practice after work. Mm. It started to just really get under my skin and become a bigger and bigger part of me. Um, as well, people then, it's interesting, I, you're saying about you can't sort of make people do things. Yeah. And I definitely did, and apart from maybe going through a slightly nightmarish bossy phase about how people were not using the arches <laughs> of their feet. <laughs> Ask Trish about that one. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, I, I actually was probably the opposite of evangelical about what I was doing. I was maybe even slightly closeted about it. One, because I, I, I just assumed everyone would take the piss. You know, it was still a kitchen after all. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, and two, I just didn't want to be smug. I've always had this, again, you know, I, I, still, I still in my mind had the idea of the sort of the smug yoga student, the smug yogi. Yeah. Like, just wandering around with a fantastic posture. And <laughs> <laughs> just saying, you know, it's all about my chakras. <laughs> I, was, I was so determined not to be that guy that I that in, in many ways I was probably too quiet for too long about it right. but people started to notice that something was going on one because I'd gone from being quite a grumpy person to uh, being a lot more chilled out yeah, yeah. you know people who'd known me for a long time would, would say like what the hell is going on with you what is why are you so relaxed like, who are you what have you done with Tom <laughs> I guess it happens though, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I was saying yesterday to Sally that, you know, I, I felt through my 20s I was a tyrant. <laughs> and um, I again, it's a lot to do with the fact that, you know, I, I was very... Uh, I, I, I knew what I wanted to do and I, I thought everyone was on a journey with me so I'd scream and shout and stuff. And I had no clue about managing people, do you know what I mean? Um, and then, yeah, after a while, you, you mature into the role and you understand what's going on. And by the time I've hit 30, it's calming down. And I had the same thing. A guy that was with me in my early days came back to work for me. It's like, you all right? <laughs> yeah. You don't shout as much. It's like, yeah, you don't have to. I realise that now. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It brings us quite neatly around to why I uh, instantly wanted to approach you guys when, when I saw and heard about Pilot Light, which mm. was thanks to Jay Rayner, I think. Which, oh, yeah. He was the first, person, first journalist I knew to draw attention to you yeah um and i suddenly realized you know this thing that i'd been sort of keeping quiet about was all part of a wider problem mm-hmm. you know in a way it was it was it was a shame that i had gone and done something oh because i should say as well i i have lived panic attack free for over a decade now i mean oh wow and i absolutely put it down to my practice it 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 yeah. it just it rewired me um and yeah, I should have been shouting about it from the rooftops. Mm-hmm. But there we were, in kitchens, uh, and you just did not talk about mental health. You, I, one, yeah. you, didn't want to, you didn't want to be the person to sort of to, to raise the, your head above the parapet or make a fuss about it. Uh, and yet, when I look back, you know, uh, over the many years I was a chef, which was 25 years, I saw... People really, really struggling, mm. um, and actually, it got tougher. I think um, towards the towards the tail end of, of my career, when when I, when I began actually uh, heading off to teach, um, it became a harder job. It's interesting. In many ways, kitchens have moved on a hell of a lot. You know, the bullying, 
yeah. uh, which I witnessed, but luckily was never really a sort of victim of in my, in my early years. I think I, I just went to work for very cool people who sure. went into all that. Who did you work for, by the way? Well, so my first head chef, uh, my first proper job in London, um, full-time cooking job, was at the Peasant in Clerkenwell okay. on St John Street, which was at that time an Italian restaurant. Right. run by a fantastic, terrifying Roman called Carla Tomasi, who taught me so much about seasonal, mm-hmm. rustic Italian cooking. The menu was, was beautifully short and concise. Yeah, it, was, yeah. you know, it was the kind of thing that in 1992 seemed absolutely revolutionary, a side of A4 paper with like four starters, five main courses, three puds and a cheese on it. Right. You know, the kind of thing you expect to find all over the shop now. Uh, but then I was blown away by something being so simple. Yeah. Um, and then uh, when she moved on from there, I literally, uh, very unadventurously in many ways, but uh, great for me, I crossed the street and joined Mike Belden and David Eyre at the Eagle, oh, nice. um, where I stayed for a decade. Um, uh, every time I thought, really, I should get my skates on and, and maybe try and work somewhere else, something would come along to just make it too exciting to leave. Uh, and that was where I began to write as well because the uh, the first thing that happened was that, that an Eagle cookbook came yes. out in 2001 um, and by that time I was actually head chef there and we were very close to the Guardian and the Observer newspapers. Um, they began sort of popping in and saying, oh, Tom, do you want to write about this or that? So then I'm writing newspaper articles about my job yeah. uh, and uh, from that another publisher approached and said, you know, would you like to write a sort of off-duty cookbook? We've done, we've done the Eagle, mm-hmm. and that was how Just Like Mother Used to Make uh, came into being. I just thought, gosh, you know, I cook all this kind of overtly Mediterranean yeah, uh, yeah. stuff. Wouldn't it be great to go back and explore all the, the more kind of forgotten dishes at the time of my childhood? Yeah, yeah. You know? uh, I think, yeah, I remember thinking, are people really going to be interested in a recipe for Scotch eggs? I wonder... You know, it's wonderful that that you know, in, in a way, it was uh, the generation before me, uh, really, the sort of Jeremy Lee, Simon Hopkinson, yeah. um, had already started to take what they'd learned from the cooking of the, of the continent and apply it to the beautiful provenance of the British Isles. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, that you know, the Scotch egg thing is just the natural progression of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, once those Scotch eggs aren't horrible, rubbish, yeah, uh, mass-produced bits of rubber, uh, yeah. you realise that actually they're about beautiful things. Yeah. Um, and so, in a way, we had to... Uh, it was interesting journey of Brit food that it had to it had to go it had to sort of reach quite far out abroad to sort of rediscover itself and a lot of that happened on mainland Europe I think people traveling more I think as well it took it took British food a long time to get over the the restrictions after World War Two and yeah yeah well we just we I mean we definitely kind of adopted the 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 American kind of um the supermarkets the you know the industrialized food um and we just went for that it was a broken country it made a lot of sense let's do this you know but um yeah it was accessible wasn't it you know to everyone 
Yeah. And it, it was part of rebuilding the country. But it, uh, I think, you know, I, I talk about the way London is as a, a, a city, the fact that we lost a lot of our traditional foods. Um, and it took a little while, but it was the fact that, you know, at least Brits then, we'd started looking for other countries to, you know, tantalise the taste buds. So it's like when we get into Spanish food and French food, and then that goes Italian food. And, and you know, we start, we've obviously been, we've had good palates for Indian food and Chinese food and stuff. Yeah. But then we want regional Chinese food, regional yeah. Indian food. And, and London's food scene is like a, you know, a, a super fast fashion scene, do you know what I mean? Yes. Um... Which, you know, has its own problems anyway, but uh, at the same time, because we haven't been as traditional as, say, you know, food doesn't move this quickly in uh, Spain, Italy or France, for instance, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it is, it, it's helped us in many ways to be at the forefront of, like, the, you know, the, the food in Absolutely, industry. and there's been an absolute yeah. explosion. You know, even, even when I look back at those early years of being on the Farringdon Road, mm. I think um, area like Farringdon, when Mike and David opened the Eagle was really a backwater, you know. Yeah. There was a, actually a bomb site still opposite the pub, uh, which then became a massive NCP car park. There was a very down at heel local market street, Exmouth Market, yeah. where you did not hang around. Yeah. Because there was no Morrow, that was a spa. There was no caravan, I can't remember what that was. A spa uh, was in the supermarket. Yeah, the yeah. Street, yeah. <laughs> uh, so everyone who, and, 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 and I mean when Mike and David opened Eagle there was no Fergus St John hadn't happened yet no. I think they opened in 1995 and they had the French house didn't they yeah, for a bit. they had the French yeah. house yeah the only other the only other place to eat of, of much uh, note was uh, the chop house over the road uh, yeah so you, you can go I mean, you, you, you know, you literally just touched on it about London being a hub for food. Like, anywhere you go now, there are, <laughs> on every street, there is multiple restaurants yeah. of different varieties. Mm. I mean, you walk around Hackney here and you go out there, there's immediately two Chinese, Vietnamese, Turkish, like, yeah. just yeah. right there. They're, I mean, the community places are great, aren't they? Because uh, you know, we, we've, in Hackney, we've got a lot of Vietnamese, we've got a lot of um, uh, Turkish, and therefore, you know, that's the, the community mm. restaurants that we've got. And if you go to Edgeware Road, yeah, there's a lot of Lebanese and mm. stuff. So it's, it's great to have that around London. But It's a really vibrant city to yeah. eat in. And it's a really vibrant city to cook in. But... Uh, it's interesting it comes back to really why I started to think I, I, you know I, I'd like to get more vocal about how to approach how to maybe tackle mental health amongst my peers because you know when I said towards the tail end of my time in kitchens yeah. I began to notice increasing stresses and strains on let's call it the system and one of those you know that this is this is not to complain about how many restaurants there are in London now that would be ridiculous but other things that happened that were starting to make it a very different game from the one I'd gone into and were, was offering a different kind of opportunity than the one that I was offered. So put it into perspective, when I was a young chef, a sort of 26, 27 years old, working for Mike and David in the Eagle, uh, I bought a flat uh, in Camberwell, where I, where I still live to this day, for a song. You know, I wasn't even the head chef when I bought this. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? 
United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Too down. It was a, it was a dump but I could do it up myself slowly over the years yeah. in the garden. Um, I could, you know, cycle up and down the Farringdon Road, feeling like a bit of a rock star, feeling like I'd really yeah. been just lucky, landed on my feet. Uh, and if you fast forward a decade later, I had a sous chef who was starting a family, uh, was living on, oh, right on the end of the central line, you know, because that was the only place they could find uh, uh, afford rent, a, an affordable place to live. Um, and he's doing this massive long commutes yeah. and the same kind of hours that all of us have always done. Yeah. Just little things like that, just because of property prices in London and the housing shortage, mm. it all just starts to add up. And then, of course, you've got a lot of restaurants, so you've got a lot of demand for chefs yeah. and an ever-decreasing amount of people who maybe can even afford to do it you know it's not so much that it's a, a badly paid job it's just are you gonna are you gonna spend all those years working so hard and it not give you enough to actually live on yeah I mean I think in my early days particularly working at the Anchor and Hope um I would come up from Kent actually <laughs> Because it was actually cheaper to be down there anyway. Um, but, you know, there was still an hour to, to probably about an hour and 45 minutes in kind of door to door. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you've got to set yourself by the trains because of the, and the way you're coming home, then they're the trains are every hour. Do you know what I mean? So if you don't get the one straight after work, then you've got to hang around an hour. And that, yeah. you know, just that's all precious sleep that you don't get. Do you know what I mean? Yes. You can do it for a little while, but I, I was always very sympathetic with people like, you know, that come to work for me when I was in London. And even as recently as someone like St. Leonard's or Brunswick House, um, you know, having people come to uh, come and interview for a job and you'd be like, where do you live? And they'd be like, literally the other side of London. I'm like, dude, you know, there's a lot of restaurants in London. You, I've all the time I've been in London, I've tried to live near the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. do you know what I mean? It makes so much sense. And that's <laughs> yes. what I'd say, look, as much as short-staffed as I am, and as much as I need staff, and I know that you really kind of want the job, but I think about I, it. I, just think about it exactly. Yeah. I used to say, because <laughs> they're probably going to leave. Like, you, I used you know, to say that to people at the end of their trial shift. I'd be like, okay, if you enjoyed it, if you like this shift, time your journey home. Yeah, you know, 
do you need a night bus? Are you, can you get home from here? Mm. You know, because if you can't, really think about whether, it, whether it's the right place for you. Uh, and that's sad that we were having to start talking like that. Yeah. Um, and... I know a lot of people that would be like, well, it's your responsibility, you want the job, you go home. And that, that, I guess that was a transitional point mm. as well. Like from a, you know, you touched on it earlier about learning to manage people. You, know, you, you don't, <laughs> you never go in with managerial experience. You have to learn to be that way. And, and some yeah. people were just like, well, as long as you're at work, then I don't really care what you do outside of work. And, and that's, that's a completely different approach. And you've both just pointed out that you took into consideration the people that were going to benefit you at work, essentially, yeah. because it wouldn't benefit them, wouldn't benefit you at the end of the day if they lived so far away and just couldn't get there. I think, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you could be, you could be selfish about it and say, look, I just need you all here on time. If you're, mm. if you're not on time, then we're going to be asking questions. And yeah. I don't want you towards the end of service start getting panicky about getting your last train. I want you focused on the job. So, you know, you could be selfish like that, but... I know that it's taken its toll on some chefs again. They're like, no, no, chef, it's fine. I, I, I live that far, but I'm, I'll be here all the time. You're like, all right, fine. And then a bit later on, it does start affecting them, you know, tiredness, all these things. It's yeah. like food, come on. You can, it can creep up on you as well because I think a lot to do with the personality type that's attracted to the job. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. For me, for a long time, it was all-consuming. And I, I think probably yoga was the first thing to really get me out of the kitchen uh, it made me mm. made me understand that I needed to draw a line of of, of when I was at work and when yeah. I was not. You know, when you love your job, uh, it's very very easy to uh, forget to take the requisite kind of downtime. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. you can you can just be enjoying it so much that you don't realize that you're overdoing it. It's that thing I I mean I've. I, I have had a lot of kind of hobbies in my life, whether it's guitar or fighting and stuff. So I, I have had those things. But there are definitely times where, yeah, you get consumed by wanting to be at work all the time. Now, I've had my problems, of course, but I've also had a balance, do you know what I mean? And I felt that as soon as I take my apron off, that's it. Don't call me chef and I'm going to go and do these things. You know, I've become a different person. I go and pursue, I've become the musician that I wanted to be or the, yep. you know, the artist I wanted to be, whatever mm. it is. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. It's about encouraging other things outside of the job because as much as you might like it at the time, you don't want to resent it later on that you didn't give yourself any time to do another hobby. Do you know what I mean? yeah, and, and being okay with the fact that you can you are allowed another hobby you know yeah. you know one of the things i think that we we get so so engrossed in the job because of the hours and things that we forget that we can still go and learn something else enjoy something else that mm. doesn't specifically have to be alcohol related mm. which it you know you find mm. that there's a, a good age range in chefs that that is their focus outside of work is it's alcohol and drugs and, and again, it brings me back to saying earlier, you know, uh, we resort to the notion that we don't have time to do things, but there are still 24 hours in a day, you know, and, and let's say, you, you know, your average chef is working 12 of them. There's, that's 14 more hours that they've got in the day to be able to do something that's not work related. I know there's travel in there and there's things like that, but, sleep. you know, I, <laughs> well, I, 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 you know, I said it to you before lockdown didn't I, about smoking. You know, it's only when I actually look back at it and I go, all right, that's fine. So I'll, I'll have 10 cigarette breaks a day, but I won't have a break in the afternoon. 
but that 10 cigarettes a day will equate to about two hours of my day. So why don't mm. I not mm. smoke and find, <laughs> you know, and, and manage that slightly differently? Look at it and go, shit, I've just wasted a shit ton of stuff. Well, finding balance yeah. is important, isn't it? And, and I'd say actually about living in London that, you know, in order to love London, to love living in London, you've got to get out of it quite often. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That if you're stuck all the time, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to wear you down. And I think that's the thing about cooking, is just don't, even though you might like it at the time, and yeah, sure, there's those periods when, when I open a restaurant, uh, uh, you know, three months solid, I'm there every day, every hour, and that's it. But I'll put a, you know, put a timeline on that and say, right, that's it, I'm stepping back. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know just give yourself other things to do just give yourself Absolutely. time to breathe do you know what I mean a really important thing and eat eating and eat. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean with your like with your yoga and everything that you, you do you do you find that you have a different diet that goes along with that or are you still very much um, like the, the kind of chef like to eat all sorts of different things and try yeah. different things and you still have a <laughs> shitty diet and, and drink some no, wine I'm still, and, really, I'm still <laughs> a greedy git <laughs> I still love my food perhaps more than I should yeah well good uh, I mean you're burning it off at least yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, the yoga and food question is a really interesting one um, and again I, I must say first of all that I've always shied away from being very specific about, about yoga and food mm-hmm. uh, partly because there actually is a very specific um, health system the Indian um, herbal sort of system of Ayurvedic yeah. Ayurvedic medicine is very closely related to yoga, um, and there are squillions of brilliant Ayurvedic practitioners, and therefore experts out there, and mm. I'm not one of them. Um, I'm a fan of much of their work, and, and the great thing about Ayurveda is uh, that it's not, uh, it's not like you're having an Ayurvedic diet. It's, yeah. it's a bit like a, a yoga practice, uh, you know, you can't point at one person's practice and say this is a yoga practice, and another person's and say this is not, or that this is correct, and this is yeah, yeah. Like, this is right for that person, and this one is right for that person. Um, uh, an Ayurvedic diet is very much about the individual. It's about being being tailored for your one, your sort of constitution, and two, your 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 needs. Yeah. Um, my practice has made me explore my relationships with food, maybe more in an ethical way. Uh, but I think I had a I had a I had a, a, a strong yearning to to explore that anyway. Mm. Um, there's a strong association between yoga and vegetarianism, for example, um, and that's based on the pillar, part one of the pillars of practice, which is ahimsa, non-violence. Mm-hmm. But again, what's great about yoga, one of the things that's always attracted me to it is it's you know when it's done when it's when it's taught properly, it's not dogmatic. Yep. So it's not that ahimsa is addressed by you just suddenly becoming a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Um, because actually the worst thing you could do is say, I'm a vegetarian, go around being really, really pious about it and be afraid to explore non-violence any further than that. When of course sure. actually there's, again, there's people who've probably gone further down that road than you, like a vegan could look at mm-hmm. a vegetarian and say, well, actually... yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think uh, vegetarianism goes far enough. You shouldn't be eating dairy, you shouldn't be eating eggs, you shouldn't be exploiting animals. Uh, and then it would be not very helpful if a vegan then folded their arms and said, you know, okay, that's it, I've got that down, I've got it down. That's a non-violent life. Because 
that vegan could then meet someone from the Jain tradition of India. That's yeah, yeah. the religion that puts Ahimsa, it's literally right at the centre of, of all its practices. Um, someone, a very orthodox Jain, will not even be pulling root vegetables out of the ground because that's killing the mother plant. So they could say to a vegan, well, you haven't gone far enough either. So wow. it's all... <laughs> they wear I mean, masks what, so they don't breathe in flies what, or anything what, what like yeah, that. What do they eat? they in front of you so you don't step on a bus. So what do you eat? Like... What, what, what? Jane food. <laughs> I, I, I've been to a couple of Jane restaurants in India, but I... I yeah, you'll often find it. If you, Gujarati food is yeah. normally uh, come from the Jane tradition. Um, it's, a, it's a delicious cuisine. Lots of pulses and nuts. and Things that fall naturally, essentially. Is it kind of no, like no, because fruit, you can take fruits off a plant. Yeah. Uh, oh, so as long as you're it's not... Pulling up the, it's, it's pulling it's up the roots. Pulling up the roots right, of, of the plant, yeah. Um... So, again, I, I think that food is such a personal uh, journey. I'm always very reticent to sort of tell people, oh, you should be eating this and you mm. should be eating that. And I'm saying this because I do yoga and I eat a yogi <laughs> diet. Uh, I don't eat a particularly <laughs> yogi diet. Does it, does it affect um, you, the, the, you doing yoga? I mean, an excess of meat or... You know, dairy or anything. Does do you feel that with your body that it can make you sluggish at all? Um, again, I think it's a very very uh, personal thing. I certainly, in the early days of my practice, uh, I would say that I noticed the practice itself having a really uh, positive impact on my digestive system. Right. Um, Ashtanga yoga. Uh, especially the, you know, I was talking about the, the series, is yeah. the first series of Ashtanga Yoga, the one that I started teaching you guys in the class, yeah. is called the primary series. Um, it's the first series that everybody learns, not because it's the easiest, but because it's the most important. Sure. So again, that's, it's, it's really important to, uh, to make that clear to people because, because people see like first series, second series, third mm. series, they think, oh, levels of difficulty. Yeah, and right. to a certain extent, that, that, is there, but far more helpful to see the first series at the top of the list because mm. it's the one that we need. And the, its Sanskrit name, and uh, doesn't include any numbers at all, is uh, Yoga Chikitsa, or Chikitsa Bhaga, which means yoga therapy. A lot of that therapy is, as we talked about earlier, to begin with, building up the strength of the core, the lower spine, the legs, um, and then uh, it's all that twisting and turning is deliberately designed to put pressure on what's behind the abdominal wall. There's lots of uh, ac- a lot of these sort of you know when you when you're sort of twisting and maybe binding uh, a foot or a, or a hand or you're applying almost massage like acupressure onto various organs and pressure points in the body, and those are meant to stimulate the digestive system. Um, I can say with absolute certainty they work it started to work on me really fast I'd always put up for years in kitchens with a what I would have described as a kind of dull lower back pain which I thought might be to do with my posture but now I think it was probably just kind of low grade abdominal sort of distress I think mm-hmm. just eating odd hours yeah. eating like just badly just <laughs> eating yeah. when I was yeah. hungry at midnight. Of the time. at midnight because that's the <laughs> You know those weird shifts where you just can't actually Eat. face eating what you're cooking until suddenly yeah, yeah. it's over and then it's midnight and you're ravenous. Yeah. Um, and obviously in the early days of the restaurant, 
was super busy. I was not addressing those things at all. But I did notice that the, the practice was starting to have a great influence on, on, my, on my gut. Mm. And that weird backache disappeared as, as I felt my digestive system kind of chill out and, yeah. and improve. Also the strengthening so, of the core. Yeah. And so, so actually, one of the reasons I say to people, um, especially people with um, long hours and, and difficult jobs... Don't when they ask me about diet, I say don't worry about it right now. You know, get the practice into your yeah. life first, because that will start to have a positive effect. Um, you know, again, if you put too many certainties in front of people, or if you if you put if or if there's too much, don't do this, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 not. It feels too hard to do. It feels insurmountable, yeah, yeah. and it can put people off. It can leave people disheartened, or they think I don't fit the the, the stare. You know, the, yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm not the type of person who it becomes can a bit do too sanctified. This is also the way you know applying certain things to my life, and why you know I, I just always tell people I'm on a journey because you know I'll try things, I'll give things a go. Um, you know, even if it's like a hundred percent plant based diet, but yeah, if it doesn't work, I'll. You know, come back a bit doesn't mean I won't try it again. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You just yeah. do things. But if I said to, you know, myself and everyone one day, like I'm giving up this and I'm doing that and I'm going to become a monk and and it, I know I found this. Then people would see me sweeping some streets or, you know, back in a kitchen or something. And going, I thought you became a monk. It's like, yeah, no, tried I it. got a few things <laughs> wrong. Um, it's but, interesting yeah. though. If, any, if the if the practice has done anything for me though, it's it's probably that you know the, the ultimate benefit has been. Uh, that I'm way less prescriptive about outcomes. I'm yeah. really happy now to have questions that I don't know the answers to. Mm. Um, I'm also really much better than I used to be as a young man at saying I don't know when someone asks me something that I don't know the answer yeah, to. Yeah. I say I don't know. You know, I'm exploring this. I'll tell you if it. I'll tell you. I'll tell you if, yeah, I, yeah. if it's working for me. You know, uh, but I'm not saying do it because I know what's yeah. right. I know what's wrong. I think it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I, I recently read Siddhartha, you know, the book. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's, and it's that kind of thing where this guy's on a journey and, you know, it just it really takes the whole of his life to kind of figure things out. Yeah. And then the cycle starts again. And um, I think that's it, you know. Um, for myself, I, this is the start of my journey is yoga, I think. And, and, and I may not be... Uh, it may take a little while for me to really get into it, but I, I know, like I said, right at the beginning, is that two months of doing it, and two weeks of not doing it but to be honest not having time either to self-practice either do you know what I mean mm. but I'm just I, I, the difference that it made and the difference now that not doing it has also made I'm just like shit I need to do that and I'm going to continue doing this do you know it's I mean? being able to notice that as well you yeah. Know? I, yeah I've gone four days without working out five days without working out and in between there's been some sort of you know <laughs> A few, <laughs> a few drinks and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know a, a lot of food. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and not not the normal. But one thing that I've noticed and that you know severely noticed is is my mood. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's you know it's being just plain moody, or whether it's you know actually feeling hemped up, kind of aggression and tight and stressed and, and wound up by things and, and not wanting to do things. And you know that immediately changed by one session this morning. Yeah. You know, and and I felt all of that completely go. But also being open and uh, to, with myself and saying, you need to go and fucking work out because it's obvious that's what you need. Yeah. And not letting that 
you know, mood and ne- of negativity keep driving me not to do it. Yeah. And just simply going, well, I understand that I've just spent the last four months exercising every day and having some bits in between, you know, a few days in between, but pretty much every day. And now that I've gone a few days without exercising, I can see that it's, it's, it's done damage. And that's... This is a really crucial part of, of, of the message I always want to get across about, about why I think it's such an important practice why and why I think it, why, why it definitely profoundly helped me is first of all I am not a as as I think I've just revealed I'm not a particularly disciplined person Um, I when um, I uh, people have said to me oh wow so you do this you know because it is is it's part of my daily life now but they say you know you do this because are you really disciplined are you I said no I do this because I need it you know very early on so um, as you'll you'll have heard me saying while we were talking about it, there were things about it that seemed very medicinal to me. Mm. I thought, this is like a prescription. I've been been given this prescription, you know, this wonderful practice that's laid out, this very, very simple prescription for me, which is this breathing and moving thing. Uh, And it's saying, do it. Just do it every day because it'll work. It works, so I'm still taking the medicine, you know. I need that medicine. It's yeah. it's just it's like a um, as simple as that. And then the other thing is that uh, it's not something. It's still not something that I think about being good at. You know, I still don't think oh, I'm mm. a teacher because yeah. I'm good at this. Mm. I'm a teacher because I want to share what it's well, done, done for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then the other thing is that it ne- you know when when people say oh I'll never be able to do it like that when they've seen stuff on Instagram or whatever so it never feels like it looks yeah it's and you can't be bad at it because it's good for you so yeah. it's like you, you can't really be good at it either you can either you can either you can either, I think you love it or you don't love it sure but it isn't something that you master it's just something that you benefit that's, from and again maybe There's, that's also the similarity about food and being a chef is that you should always you never stop learning right it's funny I've always thought of cooking as a sort of life skill again you know when, when, when and I'm, I'm as admiring of, of them of the, the great artiste type chefs mm-hmm. as, as anyone else but I think when cooking is at its most beautiful is when it's a craft yeah and I I've always had the sneaking suspicion that you, again, the world's not divided in between people who can't cook and people who can. It's people who enjoy cooking yeah. and people who don't. And that was a very interesting period as a, as a food writer because a, a lot of the time uh, when people would say to you, oh, I can't cook, actually the only way you could convince them of the opposite was to make, was to try and write recipes that would literally lure them into the kitchen and say... Yeah. We can do this, you know. Yeah, yeah. You're literally sort of holding their hand and say, "Yeah, any fool can make a risotto." It's, you know, it's not. <laughs> I can make one. You can make one. Exactly. I mean, it's just breaking down the kind of fear barrier, isn't it? Yeah, probably, but it's the same with everything, isn't it? And then repetition yeah. for a bit, and then that's it. That's not to do the job down. No. Uh, 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 no, but but I think know. there's a lot of chefs, myself included, that yeah. I, 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 there was a time when if you couldn't make it anywhere else, you became a chef, and I was that. I, you know, failed all my exams, but um, I had an appetite, so I had that going for me. I was fucking shit when I was <laughs> in the kitchen, and the same as playing guitar. I think my guitar tutor looked at me, just going, "Fuck this guy, guy, you know, he's not going to make it." Mm. 
I mean, I didn't make it in that, to be fair, but I mean, you know, I can play a guitar and I can cook a dish. So as long as you don't take yourself too seriously, as long as you, you know, you, you continuously want to learn more and get better and better, it's, you've got a lifetime of work ahead of you. Yeah. And, you know... It's, it's a daily, you know, daily nice thing meals. with everything, though, isn't it? Like, it's completely... It's just about you and applying yourself in, in a self-positive way. To yeah. be able to achieve, to get something, you know, accepting that you might not be um, as um, successful, mm-hmm. is the word I was looking for, as, as Gordon Ramsay, for example, which in turn, you know, success came from one restaurant and then yeah. money to buy others. But, you know, when you look at it and you go, I might not ever be that way, but I'd like to still give it a go. Or I might not be as, as amazing as the person who's teaching me, but I still want to give it as best as I can with anything, then you do things in a very productive, positive so way. Because you want to enjoy it. Yeah. Do you know what I, mean? I call that the zone. Yeah. You know, and it's funny, I think that ultimately that that is the genius of, of yoga. Yeah. I think this zone, you can arrive there, I think, by many, many methods. So maybe an artist at their easel or sculpting mm-hmm. their uh, marble, whatever, would might get in the zone when they when everything else falls away and they're just so preoccupied with what yeah. they're doing in, in the present tense. It can definitely happen in a kitchen. Yeah. Um, and it can happen on on the track or uh, on the on the field, you know, at the, at the on the, on the pitch uh, for a, for an athlete or a sports person. Um, but a lot of the time there's competition and uh, and pressure in those situations. And then the genius of something like yoga is that it has this really systematic way of putting you in that zone, mm-hmm. putting you in that same headspace, um, but in a very, very simple way. Like, yeah. And it's literally just this matching breath to movement. The world can fall, fall away and you can be completely absorbed in this task at hand. And it has no sort of beginning point and it has no end. Yeah, yeah. There's a beautiful uh, passage in the. Uh, uh, I don't like sort of quoting Sanskrit anyway, because it just makes sense. <laughs> Although I, you know, having been very shy about all that in the past, yeah, yeah. And now, and now I'm prone to the old quote from the Bhagavad Gita, which is this, this beautiful spiritual. I've got it. Uh, have you got it? It's yeah, great. It's under that in my little book. Krishna tells Arjuna that in yoga there is no success or failure. Yeah. You know? uh, which is, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's I mean, you've got to fail to win, right? Yeah, well, absolutely, yeah, because you just pick yourself back up. That's the yeah. whole point, isn't it? Tom, thank you. Thank you for coming along. Thank you for being part of it. That was a great chat. Yeah. Um, well, I should, uh, if there's still time, we should, we should plug. I was so, going to say, right. I was just literally <laughs> going to get there. I was yeah, going to say, right, if, yeah, anyone, if anyone wants to get hold of you, um, how can they get hold of you? And what have you got coming up? Yes, uh, so uh, you can find me www yogawithtom.co.uk is my website that um, explains uh, much more about Ashtanga Yoga uh, the style that I teach but more importantly than that uh, anyone from our industry who's listening um, once Try Yoga's back up and running we will be starting uh, this workshop um, which we're calling Out of Hours Yoga Um, in the wake of this latest uh, situation we're all in um, uh, they said to me, originally we called it Yoga for Chefs, as you might remember, yep. and Try Yoga very sensibly said, 
could we maybe widen the scope and yeah, make it attractive to all key workers? So people in the NHS, Amazing. people who work long hours on their feet, irregular hours. We're going to put these classes uh, as soon as we can in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so they so that in the in the early part of the week and focus on those days um, in the, in outside of lunch times and outside of evening services. So uh, so they're accessible. Um, they'll be donation based and with money going to the pilot light campaign um, because I want this practice to be as accessible yeah. uh, and achievable for anyone who was doing the, living the kind of life I was living yeah. I found it by accident um, I literally stumbled across it and that made me a really really lucky bloke and yeah. so I just think now it's my kind of it's, it's on me to actually say hey yeah. Try this. You never know. You might think it's shit, <laughs> <laughs> but right. if you don't, you know, keep enjoy it. Yeah. yeah, keep coming. Yeah. Amazing. But once again, Tom, thank you so much yeah. for coming. Thanks Pleasure. for great chat. Thanks for having me, guys.